Amazing. Well, it is a pleasure to be speaking to you this evening um, as we continue our series through Exodus. Um, Vicky and Jamie have kicked us off with looking at the first four chapters. Uh, and tonight we're going to look at Exodus 5 through to 12. So buckle up. Um, but don't worry, we're not going to look at it all. Um, I mean, I could probably go through each chapter for us, but we would miss Christmas. Um, so I'm just going to kick us off by recapping uh, just where we've been in the last two weeks, and then I'm going to outline where we're going in the next session. So if you grab the sheets at the end of your rows, or if you've got a Bible, um, if you can't find either, don't worry, it's going to pop up behind. And we're going to look at Exodus 6, starting at verses, uh, starting at verse 1, going to verse 8. And it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. So that was Jamie's talk last week in the burning bush. God saying, I am Yahweh. Uh, verse 4, we say, I, uh, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Verse 5, moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. And that was Vicky's talk from two weeks ago. She uh, kicked us off, Exodus 1, is the Israelites crying out, and God hearing their cries. Now, this is where we're going this evening. So starting verse 6, therefore... Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as possession. I am the Lord. So that's where we've been, God declaring, I am, I'm Yahweh, and then hearing the cry of the Israelites the week before. And this week we're going to see what God is going to do, what he's going to bring, the judgment upon Egypt. So but we're really going to do that by looking at chapter 12. Um, so that is on the sheets. Let's go from there. Exodus 12. Verses 1 to 14, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the month of your, uh, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of each month, so on the 10th day of this month, the man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share it one, uh, with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. They are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with each person will eat. The animal you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. And then from verses 6 to 11, um, the Lord goes on to sort of say, this is how you're going to cook it, this is how you're going to eat it, this is the bread. And he effectively just outlines Passover. And picking up in verse 12, it says, On the same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. 
The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as the festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And then finally, from verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on top and both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of your door, uh, the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land, the Lord will give you as he has promised. Observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And breathe. It's a lot of, a lot of scripture. If you don't do Bible in one year, you've had your lot for the week. Shall we pray? Shall we pray? Father God, as we look at your word, as we read it as it reads us, Lord, would we just have fresh revelation of who you are? Father, open these scriptures, open our hearts and our ears to hear you. And we say yes to you this evening. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Have you ever been overlooked? Have you ever been sort of passed up or been in a situation where someone has said, no thanks, no thank you? When I was about seven, eight, I used to play uh, in a five-a-side football team. Um, and when you're about that age, um, you don't really have any position. Um, you just run and run and run until you eventually kick the ball. Um, but however, we, we, were, we weren't too bad. But as we got older, you, kind of, you grow out of five-a-side and you join an 11-a-side team, an 11-a-side league. Um, and when it came to joining a team, a friend of mine told me why he didn't want me to join his team. Um, you see, I've, I've never been a particularly good loser. I'm, nobody is. I think if we did a big show of hands now, we'd all say we'd all, we all hate losing. Um, and there are definitely one or two people on our staff team who are not good losers. Um, but enough about that. My friend, he, you know, sort of early on in my footballing career, um, if I lost or if I wasn't doing well, um, I would just cry. Just, this is therapy for me right now. Um, but I would, lit, I would just cry right there. I was chatting to my mum earlier, and I remember a time in the middle of a game, no one was passing me the ball, so I just walked off. I walked off. I said, I had enough, walked off. And they were like, oh, come on, let's pass it to Ben. I kicked it once cried and we left. I never went back. It just, it just meant a lot to me. I'm an 83% feeler in my Myers-Briggs, um, so please pray for Jen. Um, anyway, my, my friend, um, my friend, uh, we don't keep in contact. He said, Ben, I didn't invite you uh, to the open trials because when you lose, you cry and it's really embarrassing. Nobody wants that on our team. It's, we, that's why we didn't invite you. 
So because of my emotions, I was overlooked. I was passed over, and the spot on that team that was rightfully mine was given to somebody, not rightfully mine, but I thought it was. But it was, it was given to somebody else. And as I said, I'm not bitter, I've moved on. This is great therapy, thank you. Um, but long story short, I joined a team, and um, in our first season, we lost every game but one. So I became a very, very good loser after that. But sometime later on, um, I grew up in Bournemouth, and we had some AFC Bournemouth scouts come and watch our games. And uh, one of them sort of pulled me aside and said, hey, uh, we like what you're doing. You've you know, got a great game here, one or two bits that we'd like you to improve on. Um, and we, you know, we're going to go to the States... We're going to do a scouting trip, and when we come back, if we've not signed anybody, we'd, we'd like to open discussions and sign you. So I was like, fantastic, this is it, like, it's, this is kicking off. However, I never saw that scout again. He didn't come back to our 11-a-side Sunday league team, and what's worse is they didn't sign anyone from America. They said, no thanks, I was overlooked. I was passed over. But here in Exodus 12, we read about the final plague, the Passover, which is a more positive version of what I experienced. You see, in the passage, the Lord says he will pass over the Israelites. He is going to not destroy them because of the Passover lamb that they have sacrificed. It's more positive experience than what I had. But Lord, he speaks to Moses and to Aaron in verse 12, and he says, I'm going through Egypt. I'm coming and I'm going to bring judgment. He talks about the process of the lamb and how it needs to be slaughtered. It needs to be sacrificed. Blood has got to be painted on the top and the sides of the frame of the door. But when God sees that, he'll overlook it. When he sees the blood, it would be a sign, and he would pass by. See, the important bit about this plague is that a death had to take place. There had to be sacrifice. And today is Remembrance Sunday, and it's, it's a very suitable day for us to be thinking and remembering the importance of sacrifice. You know, today, this morning at the War Memorial, we were thinking and remembering the sacrifices of many so that we could be here today. But in this passage, the sacrifice was that of a lamb. God told Moses and Aaron, verses 5 and 6, that they needed to pick a lamb and sacrifice it. Now, interestingly, God tells Moses and Aaron and the rest of the Israelites, he doesn't tell the Egyptians. Why? Because this was a sacrifice to set them apart. Apart from what? Well, apart from Egypt, the Egyptians, from sin, from Egypt's gods. God said to Moses and Aaron and the Israelites, you are my people. You are a set-apart people. I have chosen you. And this sacrifice is going to be a sign of that. You see, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, it visibly set them apart from the Egyptians. If you were to walk through town that night, you would see who was an Egyptian and who wasn't. You would see who had sacrificed the lamb and who hadn't. The Israelites were set apart. They put their trust in God. They put their trust in the blood. Because by the blood, they would be saved. However, it's not just any blood that was chosen. It wasn't just any lamb. There was a specific lamb they had to use. I wonder if you spotted it in the passage. 
It's a year-old male lamb without blemish. It's not just any lamb. However, this is a picture of what was to come for these Israelites. Hundreds of years later, Jesus would come, the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist calls him in the gospel. He says, the Lamb of God. And Jesus came to be blemish-free and to be our sacrifice. You see, Jesus was and is set apart. He was and is blemish-free. He knew no sin. He was and is perfect. That's why he came. He came to be the perfect sacrifice for us. It was his blood that had to be spilt onto those posts of wood. The Israelites put their trust in the lamb's blood, but today we get to put our trust in Jesus' blood, the lamb of God. We put our trust in that. The sacrifice of the lamb, it's, it's just the beginning of what would eventually become part of the Levitical law. So uh, as the Israelites, when they do the exodus and they, they sort of get to the promised land and they build the temple, they have the law. And the sacrifice of the lamb would happen on what was called the Day of Atonement. And that was, uh, that was done by the high priest. There was a particular person who would go into the temple. He'd go beyond this curtain into this place called the Holy of Holies and he would sacrifice a lamb. And it would cover his sin and it would cover the sins for all the people. It would be the same as... Jago going into a side room here that only he's able to go in and sort of saying a prayer on behalf of him and all of us. That's sort of what the, the high priest did. He did it for him and for everybody. But Hebrews 9, it, it, it talks about this. It talks about this and it says how that actually, that's what used to happen. But what happens now, this is what happens now in the light of the New Testament. In Hebrews 9, it says in verse 11, when Christ came as the high priest... He did not enter by means of blood, of goats and of calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Now the writer, he's not saying that Jesus has come and he's going to take on the role of the priest and he's going to do it and do it and do it again. No, it was the sacrifice that was once for all. It was once and for all. Jesus' death, he, it's as if he walks into the temple, he walks past the curtain, he goes to the holies and holies and sacrifices himself and says, that's it. It is finished. Jesus is the ultimate high priest. And you could take all the priests in all the world and you could get all the lambs together and you could sacrifice them all, but it wouldn't be enough. Because it's Jesus, it's his blood, his sacrifice that is enough for us. This was also not just a sacrifice to set them apart, but it was a sacrifice to remember. Verse 14 says, This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. God wanted them to repeat this, to repeat this sacrifice. He wanted them to remember it. He wanted the Israelites to remember what he had done for them. And how were they to remember it? With heavy hearts? With guilt? With a slight sort of, ugh, like again? No. With a sense of celebration. They are to be thankful and to worship through this. The Israelites, they were in slavery for hundreds of years. They were forced into labor. 
And as Vicky reminded us two weeks ago, their children were killed just for being Israelites. They were a persecuted people, and God was saying, remember. I want you to remember this. I want you to remember where you've been, where you are, and where you're going. Remember what I've done for you. And we still do that today. As I mentioned, we were at the war memorial this morning, remembering those who have died. And and tonight, what we're going to do is we are going to remember Christ's sacrifice for us through communion. Communion is the Passover meal through the lens of Jesus. It's that sacrifice of the lamb through the lens of Jesus. This is not some kind of Anglican snack we get. This is not kind of some religious activity that we fumble our way through. No, it's, it's a call to remember. It's actually an active process. It's an active meal. We can remember where we have been. We remember where we are and where we are going. We get to look back and say, God, thank you. Thank you that you love me as I am, but you love me more And you love me enough to to take me further, to take me on. Hebrews 9, it says, he has obtained eternal redemption. And that is available for all of us today. So when we come to communion later as part of our our worship, as part of our, our praise, I want us all just to stop, just to pause, and just to thank God, thank God for what he's done. It's no accident that we're here today. We're to take time and just remember. And if you're not a Christian yet, maybe you, too, you, maybe you want to pause. And just think about what I've been saying. Think about what's going on. Or, you know, grab someone with a hosting badge and just say, hey, can I talk to you about this? Maybe you came with someone. Talk to them about it. But let's all just stop and think because this is a sacrifice to remember. And finally, this is a sacrifice to celebrate. I wonder if the band would come and join me as we go. This is a sacrifice to celebrate. In verses 24 to 27, Moses tells all of the Israelites what they need to do for this sacrifice. He explains about the lamb, he explains about the doorposts, the blood, the bread, and all the bits that go with it. And he goes on to say that this is something that they need to do again when God delivers them, when God takes them into that promised land. He explains it's it's a lasting ordinance, is what Scripture says. It's a lasting instruction. And the response of the Israelites is is probably not one that you might expect. You know, if it were me, I'd be saying, you know, if if I had heard from Moses that that God is going to come and bring judgment and kill every firstborn, I'd be there going, flip! Like, I need to get on this. This is, you know, Jen, get the lamb. Quick, quick, from the garden. But we, we, I would be terrified if that was me. And that's because I'd be saying that out of a place of fear. I'd be afraid. I don't want anyone to die. I don't want my friends, my families, my relatives to die. But the Israelites, that wasn't their response. Instead, they responded with a different kind of fear. And what was the response at the end of verse 27? They bowed down and worshipped. Their response was because they had the right fear of the Lord. It was fear as in reverence. 
fear in wonder of who God is. It's all about God, and it's all for God. God was saving them. He was rescuing them. He was revealing his nature to them. He was saying, I've seen you. I've heard your cry all the way back in Exodus 1. I know you're in slavery. And he says, I've seen you in forced labor, but I'm coming. He says, I am coming to rescue you. He says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to take you from here into the promised land. I'm going to take you from slavery into freedom. I'm coming to rescue you. Worship is surely the only response when we see God's heart. As a result of painting on the doorposts, using and spilling the lamb's blood, the Israelites would be saved. God would would use Moses. He'd lead them out. He'd take them into the promised land, and the Israelites' cry of pain would be turned into cries of praise. They bowed down and worshipped. God came to rescue them. We worship a God that rescues. Amen? Come on, we worship a God that rescues. Amen? That's worth celebrating. Jesus came, the Lamb of God, to rescue us today from our sin. Romans 5.8 says that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came to rescue us from our sin, from evil. He gave himself up to wash us clean once and for all. When one sheep goes astray, he leaves the flock and chases after it. When he's in the middle of the storm, he's there with us and he says, Take courage. I am here. I am Yahweh, the God who saves. That is worth celebrating. Amen. It's worth shouting about. It's worth surrendering to today. It's worth us saying, God, I need you. And that's what he says to us today. He says, I see you. Just like he saw the Israelites back in Exodus. I see you. And Jesus says, I have died to rescue you. Through the sacrifice, we are set apart. Our lives are hidden in him. We get to come to the table today. We get to eat the bread. We get to drink the wine and remember the sacrifice, that one sacrifice that lasts for eternity. Jesus says, I've got this. He says, it is finished. It is finished. I don't know about you, but that, Sounds like celebrating.